Well, good morning, church. It's good to see everybody this morning, and uh, nothing thrills this pastor's heart more than seeing those 30-plus baptisms that we've had this year as people have come to know Christ, and not just the people that are getting saved here, but to know that around the world uh, we are seeing people saved in places like Baltimore and Canada, Moldova, Ukraine, places like the Philippines. It is just a blessing to know that God is using this church, and I can't tell you, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, I can tell you that there's no other place that I'd rather serve, no other place that I'd rather be than right here, part of this fellowship. And so, church, thank you for all that, that you do and the part that you play in letting people know that there is a God who loves them and desires to save them. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, and uh, some of you are like, woohoo, some of you are going to be like, oh, no. Because this is one of those topics in the church that sometimes, especially in Baptist circles, it makes us nervous when we talk about spiritual gifts. And folks, let me just say, there is no reason why we should be nervous talking about the things that God has blessed His church with. One of the issues that we are finding in the book of 1 Corinthians is that things that were intended to be an absolute blessing, I mean, even last week as we talked about the Lord's Supper, it's one of those things that you think, how do you mess that up? How in the world could we get to a place where this meal that is meant to remember, this meal that is meant to draw the church together, becomes something that is a hindrance? And we talked about that last week. And this week, and really over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how spiritual gifts within the body of Christ have become an issue in the church at Corinth. And not just an issue back in that day, but an issue even up to this day. This is a topic that the church needs to discuss. This is a topic that the church needs to talk about. And we've got to get to the place where we are comfortable talking about the spiritual gifts of God. Because they are intended to be a blessing to the body of Jesus Christ. Now, as we get into this this morning, I want to lay all my cards on the table from the get-go. Now, let me say first and foremost this morning, because this is from chapters 12 to 14, I'm not going to scratch everywhere that you are itching today to know about spiritual gifts. Hold on. If we didn't hit questions that you have about spiritual gifts, we're probably going to hit it in the coming weeks. If I say everything that I could about spiritual gifts today, then later on this month I'm going to have nothing to say as we continue to work through these other chapters. So, so hang on, we are going to delve into the topics that you want to get into with spiritual gifts. But today is kind of an introduction to this topic and this issue. And secondly, I want to put my cards on the table about where I am theologically when it comes to this issue. Okay? In Baptist circles, you're going to find that there are basically two groups of people when it comes to spiritual gifts. The first group is what we call cessationists. Okay? Cessationists, if you think about it, the word to cease, right? Cessation, when something stops, there are people in Baptist circles that hold to the belief that the spiritual gifts, certain ones of them, no longer exist today. Those would be gifts like healing, gifts like speaking in tongues, gifts like uh, maybe a, a word of, of prophecy and things like that. And there are people in our Baptist churches that that's the view that they hold, that after the early church was formed, after the early church began to thrive, after the canon of Scripture was closed, that some of these things ceased to exist. Then there are others that take a view that these things continue on. Continuationists. And continuationists hold the belief that, you know what, the Scripture doesn't say that any gifts have gone away, that the reality is there are many gifts that are abused, there are many gifts that are misused, there are many gifts that the devil will seek to counterfeit because that's what the devil does. He takes the good things that God has given to us and he wants to twist them and he wants to pervert them and he wants us to misuse them so that they no longer fulfill their intended purposes. And so because that exists in the church today, there are many that say, you know what, I don't want to talk about tongues because tongues make me feel weird, right? I don't want to talk about word of, of, of truth. I don't want to talk about word of prophecy. I don't want to talk about all these healings and these different things because all of us have turned on the television and we have seen abuses of these gifts. But folks, we have to be careful when it comes to Scripture that just because something is unfamiliar to us, just because something is, it is in a way that we don't understand, we have this tendency as people, as Baptists, as Christians, sometimes to throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? That we get 
like we're looking like maybe we're going to steer into one ditch and to correct rather than just course correct and make sure that where we are is biblical, we tend to yank the wheel and we go to the other side. So let me say where I am today. I am not a full-on cessationist. I do not believe that the gifts have ceased. I do not believe that any of them necessarily by the word of God, that it states anywhere in the word of God that the gifts have ceased. Now, I also understand that the gifts can become a place of contention in the church. I also understand that gifts can be abused. I also understand that there are many, many times that these topics cause anxiety among especially Baptists. But they're discussions that we need to have. They're discussions that that we need to understand what God has to say about spiritual gifts. If you were to ask me, do I believe that people can have a private prayer language? Listen, I have no way of arguing against that. Not biblically, in my opinion. I can't see where I have an argument against that, where God may give someone utterances in their private prayer. I don't have a way to fight against that because you see it in Scripture, and I don't see where it says it cannot occur again. Also, if you were to say to me that, you know what, I heard about a missionary who spoke in tongues and people began to understand. Listen, I've heard of healings on the mission field. I've heard of miracles on the mission field. And these are our IMB missionaries, and I'm not going to sit back and try to argue and debate because, listen, the God who's done it in the past can do it today, and he can do it in the future. I, I don't know how else to come at it, but with that conclusion. But Paul says, listen, how we face these things, how we deal with these things, the Bible is not silent to these things. And so Paul begins this section of Scripture by saying, listen, when it comes to spiritual gifts, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be unclear about what the Bible has to say, what God has to say pertaining to these issues. So we're going to talk about the issue over the next several weeks of spiritual gifts. Now you say, is that the only topic? Well, yes, in a way, because many of us don't realize that even some of our favorite chapters in the Bible, like 1 Corinthians 13, they actually, the context is about gifts. Now, if you remember 1 Corinthians 13, we call that the what? That's the love chapter, okay? And, and understand that that chapter wasn't given to us so we could put it on napkins in weddings. It wasn't given to us so it could be our favorite wedding text. It was given to us in the context of understanding our spiritual gifts. That it doesn't matter what gift you have. If you don't know how to love people, guess what? That gift's useless. So today, let's dive in. And let's talk about the issue of spiritual gifts together, okay? Because he's basically, and and let me say this as we get going as well. When you recognize, just like the Lord's Supper last week and this week, something that was meant to be a blessing but somehow has gotten so messed up that it's causing dissension in the church, you can almost guarantee that when the spiritual gifts issue divides a church, something is wrong. And let me tell you what's wrong. Either the people are, number one, uninformed. Number two, They may be self-absorbed, which we'll get into what that means here in the coming weeks. Or we find that in the church, someone is misusing the gifts. And that is what is at the heart of what is causing problems in the church at Corinth and in our denominations and in our churches today. So let me read to us chapter 12, verses 1 through 11 this morning. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. Okay, unaware uninformed, some of your translations say, ignorant, other translations say. He says, you know that when we were pagans, or when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. 
But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So let me start off, number one, the way the Apostle Paul starts off. I hope you notice that every time we get in the pulpit and we preach here, that we're taking the Word of God. Everybody says, how do you come up with those outlines? I read the Bible. <laughs> Paul outlined. Paul spoke. The Spirit of God drove Paul to write these things. All we're doing is sharing with you exactly what the Word of God says. So, first of all, he says, don't be uninformed. To all the believers of the church, don't be uninformed concerning these issues of spiritual gifts. Now, what is so interesting is there in the beginning in verse 1, that term spiritual gifts, literally the best way to translate that is spiritual stuff. He doesn't actually use the word gifts until he gets later on into this chapter but there is this word in the Greek that literally it's kind of hard to translate. And so they translate it as spiritual gifts. But he, he's basically just saying the things of the Spirit. Let's talk about how the Spirit of God moves in and among the church of God. And then later on, he's going to specifically get to the word that you recognize, which is spiritual gifts. Now, when we talk about the word gifts, let's be sure that we're all talking the same language. When we talk about gifts, they are grace gifts from God. You may not realize it, but the root word of gift in the New Testament Greek literally is the same word that we have for grace. Now think about that for a second. These gifts are God's grace to us. When you think about grace, it's unmerited favor. It is something that is given to you that is what? Undeserved. It's unearned. That's the very nature of, of what a gift is. It's meant to be a blessing to the person to whom receives that gift. And God in his goodness, God in his love, it says, has given to each of us through his spirit these different gifts, these grace gifts. Now today what we need to define is, what are these gifts for? Who are they for? How are we supposed to? To use them, and that's kind of what he's going to get into as he introduces, introduces this section of gifts. Because here's what he says. He says, don't be uninformed. Now listen to what he says. First of all, know what is not from the Spirit of God. He says, as we talk about spiritual things, because remember, that's what he said in verse 1. Concerning the spiritual gifts, this, the spiritual stuff, the spirit stuff that we need to talk about. He's saying, first and foremost, you need to recognize what's not from God. And secondly, in the same way, you need to know what is from the Spirit of God. Know what's not from Him. Know what is from Him. And he actually lays it out. Most people look at this and they say, well, why is this section even here? Why is verse 2 and 3 even left in here? It isn't really dealing with spiritual gifts. It's dealing with the Spirit. It's dealing with spiritual stuff because he's saying the starting point for understanding our gifts is to know that which is from God and that which is not from God. Now, he makes it really plain in this text. Because he says, and think about the simplicity of these words, a person who says Jesus is accursed, what is the obvious understanding there? That if a person says that, is that from God? Would God the Father give us the message that Jesus is accursed? Would the God give us the message that Jesus is just a man, that Jesus is a sinner like us? No, when the Spirit of God speaks, what he speaks will be in line with the Word of God, won't it? And you see, today, it's different today for us than it was for them back then. Back then, he says, I want you to remember when you were pagans. There were these moments where people would be going crazy in these worship uh, events here in these temples. And he says they would be having utterances. They'd be dancing. They'd be all kind. I remember, I even went to the point of prostitution in this city, okay? So crazy stuff was happening in these worship moments. And he says, you need to decide and you need to discern what is of God and what is not of God. And so he simply lays it out the best way that he knows how. He says, a person who loves Jesus, who knows Jesus, who's full, full of the Spirit, he will not say Jesus is a curse. But the person who knows God, his claim will be Jesus is what? Jesus is Lord. Now, on that day, people would say Jesus is a curse. That's what the Jews would have said. The Jews would have said Jesus was cursed. Why? Because the Bible says that any man who is hung upon a tree is what? Is cursed, So they would have rejected Jesus, many of the Jews, believing that his sacrificial death was a curse upon him and not a blessing to the whole world and not obedience to God. And they rejected Jesus outright. 
Back in that day, remember that term, Jesus is accursed, was well known within the church of Jesus Christ because many Christians were dying at the hands of the Roman government because the government was saying to them, listen, it's not enough that you say Jesus is Lord, you got to say that Caesar is Lord. And the Christians would say, what? I don't have two masters. <laughs> Jesus is Lord. Jesus has my life. Jesus has my future. My faith is in Jesus. My hope is in Jesus. Everything that I need is in Jesus. I can't forsake Jesus to pay homage to Caesar. And they would kill those Christians. They would look at those Christians and they would say, recant your faith. Say that Jesus is accursed. And they wouldn't do it. So understand that in that culture, it means a little more than it does in this culture. But I don't want you to think that it doesn't pertain, that we don't see this every day in American life. Let me give you the best example that I know of how we have to learn to discern the spirits. How many of you know Oprah Winfrey? Everybody knows Oprah, right? Anybody watch Oprah? See, nobody's going to raise their hand now. Listen, the thing about Oprah is I believe that really at the depth of her being, she wants to help. That she probably at the end wants to, to leave something good behind for humanity. And so Oprah really does a lot of self-help. She does a lot of talk about be the best you that you can be and all these different things that she goes on her shows and she talks about. And listen, there are many people that because Oprah says, I'm a Christian or I believe in God, they take everything that she says as truth. But I want you to see the danger. And, and she's just one example. I want you to see the danger because when we look at somebody like Oprah Winfrey, she is a media icon. Millions of people follow her and watch her show. And even though it's fair to say that she probably really is concerned about the world and wants to change the world, she wants to make an impact. I want you to hear what she says about Jesus. She has made it known that while she believes that Jesus did exist, that he was just a moral teacher. That Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. You following me? Think about the repercussions of the world who's hearing this message. And she's saying, I'm a, I believe that God is. I believe that God exists because she's going to go in and define what that means to her. However, even though she talks about God and doing what is right, she says that Jesus is not God. He's not the only way to heaven. She believes that God is whatever we think he is inside of us. She denies the notion of sin. And so the idea of a savior is completely unnecessary. She rejects the Bible as God's revelation to us. She scorns and sneers at Bible doctrine. She says that we must be guided by our inner consciousness, whatever that is. And folks, to many, even in the church, it sounds good and it looks good. But folks, those statements make her a false prophet. You understand that. Not someone that we should follow. Not someone that we should listen to and understand the damage that is done to the gospel. Because a person who is full of the Spirit of God, they will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. And Christ came to die for our sins. He was buried and He rose again. And He calls people to believe on Him for salvation in Him alone. And folks, we have people all the time that are all around us that we got to discern. Is what they're saying from the Spirit of God or from another spirit? And folks, we are increasingly doing worse and worse at discerning the difference in those two things. We are following televangelists that are afraid to say the name Jesus. Many of you today would argue with me about what I'm about to say. Because listen, I saw it with my own two eyes. Joel Osteen, for whatever you think about him, the moment he got on Larry King Live and he said to Larry King, all roads lead to heaven. Who am I to say that the God of Muslims or Hindus or whoever else isn't the same God? We all worship different gods, but they all lead to the same place. 
I don't care what else you think about him. I don't care what else he says. The moment he said that, you better have a discerning spirit because he may as well have said Jesus is accursed. Folks, he's trying to get us to understand, don't be uninformed. Not everything that looks spiritual is spiritual. Not everything that sounds biblical is biblical. You need to know the word of God. And you need to discern between the spirit and what is not of the spirit. And then thirdly, when he says don't be informed, he's really trying to get to this point. Know what the deal is with God's gifts. This gift of grace, this free gift that is given to us. What about these gifts? Well, first of all, he says our gifts are different. Okay, so he starts off by saying, don't be uninformed. And then secondly, he says, our gifts are different. You need to understand that when God gave gifts to the church, he gave to the church different gifts. What stands out to me in this text and ought to stand out to you is the fact that from verse 4 on, he uses the term different and same or variety and same over and over and over and over again because he's going to say, listen, there are different manifestations of the Spirit, but there's one Spirit, the same Spirit. He's going to say there's different ministries, but there's what? The same Spirit. Over and over, he's going to say that God reveals himself and empowers believers in totally different ways. But understand that all of it is from the Spirit of God and all of it is necessary to fulfill and accomplish what he has for his church to do on this earth. One of the things that I love about the Great Commission is that it literally says, and we, we, sometimes I don't think we think through what it really means, when at the end he says, go and baptize, right? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And he says, and lo, what? I am with you always. Do you understand the God-sized nature of the Great Commission? Of what it's going to take to get the gospel to the ends of the earth, to open up the eyes of people to their spiritual condition so that they might cry out to Jesus. And you may wonder, what does it mean that he's always with us? It means that he's given us the Spirit of God. And if he calls a man, what does he also do? What else does he do, church? If he calls us, does he not equip us? If he calls us, in the moment, I mean, think how many times Jesus would say there's going to be moments when you're standing before kings and governors and governments and you're going to need to give an account for the hope that is within you. Where do the words come from? Him. His spirit. Folks, God doesn't want you to work for him. Let me get that straight this morning. God does not want you to work for him. That's how we look at our Christian, our Christian responsibility, that we are working for God. No, he says, why don't you die and empty yourself so that I may what? Fill you and then I can work through you. If you don't get that right, it's like looking at a golf club and saying, Hey, why don't you finish out the rest of these holes? Can the golf club do it? Does it have any potential if it's not in your hand? And the same is true of what Jesus said to us over and over. He said, abide in me and I will abide in you. That way you'll bear much fruit because if you don't have me working in and through you, what will you accomplish? Absolutely nothing. And so our job is to abide in Christ to die to our sin and self, to allow him to have control of our lives. And when he says that he will be with us always, his spirit is there to empower and equip us to do the task that is ahead of us. So he says there are manifestations of the spirit. That's what he says there in verse 4. There are varieties of gifts. Verse 7, he says again, manifestations of the spirit. Different gifts, same God who's given them. There are different experiences, gifts, ministries, areas of service, but God is the one who is behind them all. And so practically what he's trying to say to us here is that we need to realize that all of us are passionate about different things in ministry because God has gifted us differently. 
One of the ways gifts becomes frustrating within the church is because certain people have certain gifts, and because they have those gifts, they gravitate toward certain ministries, and because that's the ministry they gravitate toward, they think that ministry in and of itself is the end all. You ever notice that in churches? Well, let me ask you a question. How different would it be if we didn't have preschool children's department this morning? I'm grateful for the hands and feet of Jesus down in the preschool children's area. Because they're like the hands and feet of the body. But if you don't think they're important, let's load all hundred-something kids in here. And then all of a sudden, we're going to find out as the ears of the body that it is extremely hard to pay attention. And they're not going to get the message on their level. And you're not going to get the message on your level because you're going to be wrestling them. And you see, God has gifted us with different passion. Some people, they feel called to work in youth ministry. I love Don Musgrave just said to me the other week, he started a few weeks ago, him and Jason Hetzel. I'm sure Jason probably feels exactly the same, but he said to me, you know what? I started working with these students, these these college age career, you know, uh, the ones that aren't in college, but the ones that are out and starting their careers. And he said, between that and the men's ministry that we do on Monday, he said, I feel like I'm exactly where I need to be. And listen, I could see in his eyes, I could hear in his voice, this passion for ministry. You know what we want to do? We want to pour fuel on that. We want to do all that we can do to see that grow and expand. But that's one ministry, right? For others, it's Moldova. That, I mean, that's what makes Matt light up. Just talk to him about Moldova. For other people, it's going to be the Philippines. For other people, it's going to be things like the Harvest Festival. But all of us, we have these gifts and these passions. And listen, all of them are meant to be a benefit and a joy to the body of believers. There is not one that is more important than the other. I always thought about it with D-Now. You know who gets the glory in D-Now? It's the speaker and the bands. Everybody wants to rush them and talk to them and sign my shirt and, oh, I want to talk to you about this, that, and the other. And you know who nobody ever goes and really talks to? The people back in the kitchen. But let me tell you something. After three days, you're going to get hungry. If we didn't have the people in the kitchen, we wouldn't have the opportunity to do what we do in D-Now. If people didn't give up their homes for a weekend, we wouldn't see the life impact without the people who simply said, I will take those 20 students and put them into my home and help lead Bible studies for them. Listen, they are every bit as important. There's not one part that's less and one part that's more. But all of us are passionate about different aspects of ministry. And second, it's, it's wrong to expect a person to be equipped to do everything. So as we talk about these different manifestations, we have to realize that all of us are passionate about different things, and we can't expect one person to be equipped to do everything, not the pastor. I mean, you better thank God I'm not over everything. Children's ministry would be a wreck. You know how long it took me to realize children's ministry wasn't my thing? About 20 minutes. But I went over to student ministry, and for whatever reason, I don't know why, I gelled there. I fit there. I felt like my gifts were utilized there. I don't know the difference and why that is. For others, it's adult ministry. But I can tell you this, as we look at our giftedness, thank goodness all of us aren't carrying the weight of the church. This is honestly one of the reasons I love Hepzibah so much. Most churches are dealing with what they call the 80-20 problem. 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work. We don't have that problem here. So many of you have figured out where your calling, where your gift is, where your passions lie. And literally, as I look across this room, I'm looking at faces, and I can almost, to everybody in this room, not quite everybody, I can say they serve there, they serve there, they serve there, they serve there, they serve there. And I am grateful that we have 80% serving. It's because you recognize that, you know what, we are better together. You recognize that, you know what, ministry multiplies when all of us are doing our part. He goes on and says the gifts are different. There are manifestations of the Spirit, but he says there are speaking gifts. He says there are serving gifts, and there are miraculous gifts. That's what you see in this list. And we're not going to dive into them this week because we're going to have a lot of weeks to get into these different ones. Now, most of us don't need a, a whole talk about mercy or a whole talk about administration. We want to talk about tongues. We want to talk about prophecy. We want to see how all of that fits within the body of Christ. 
And we're going to get into all of those things. But I want you to notice that he says, for some of us, the gifts that he gives, they're speaking gifts. Those are teachers and preachers, and those are people. I mean, I thought of Steve Johnson, honestly, this morning. One of the things I thought about was I remember when we started the ministry in Moldova. He said something that always stuck with me. When we first got into that country, he pulled me aside one day and he said, Aaron, this work is so important. He wanted to lead the ministry over there. And when I asked him why was he so passionate about that ministry, you know what he actually said? And it's so timely for today. He said, I believe with all my heart, and I believe this was a word of knowledge for him, that in that moment, the Spirit of God was just stirring him, and he spoke these words to the pastor. He said, there's going to be a time, I believe, when Russia's going to come back in, and the gospel isn't going to be able to be freely brought into Moldova and Ukraine. Now is the time to get the gospel to those places, so if they lose their freedom, the churches are strong. Stephen passed away several years ago. And yet we stand here today, and isn't it amazing that the Lord impressed upon him his heart that wisdom and that knowledge. And you know what? We stuck with that partnership the way that we did because I never got out of the back of my mind as pastor the words that he said. Sometimes that's how God operates. He gives us a word. Now, where we get sideways scripturally is when we take the words that God has given and we equate it to Scripture. Or we make those words more than Scripture. Folks, we have the Word of God. Everything that is said, everything that is done should be measured against the Word of God. And I do believe that God, listen, I mean, you can't sit back and say it's not as simple as to say, well, we have God's Word and we have nothing else. His Spirit still moves for people like us to speak into the hearts and lives of other people. Don't we believe that? Isn't that what you hope that when you sit down with someone, that they're going to be able to speak into your lives, take the Word of God and share with you that God is going to inspire them to be able to share with you what you need in that moment. Folks, I come in here with all of my messages planned out. Months in advance. You have no idea how many times people are like, you did that this week because of this, that, and this. And I'm like, these things have been planned out for months. That's just the Lord putting the right words in the mouth of a donkey. Right? Amen, John said. We just did reviews. He's got a year he knows I'll forget. Think about that. I'm not equating anything that I say. You, trust me, my words are fallible. My words are, are errant. God's word is not. And I want you to know that God does use his people to speak to those that are lost, those that are hurting, those who need a blessing. And we ought not throw the baby out with the bathwater too quickly. There are serving gifts. Those are things and where we grab up all these men that are deacons. And there are those people who have the gift of hospitality, those who have the gift of mercy, those who have the gift of administration. There are different gifts that are utilized for people to serve. And then there are those miraculous gifts where God, throughout history, has allowed the miraculous to occur so that people might believe. He did it in the time of the prophets. He did it in the time of Christ. He did it in the church age. I don't believe that miracles are something that are given so that we might just go out and it's like a three-ring circus in a, in, a, in a church service every week where we're just doling out these healings and doling out these miracles because Christ would say over and over, listen, you wicked and perverse generation, be careful that you're not looking for just a miracle and missing. You want your bellies full. You want your body healed. But do you want your soul to find forgiveness with God? Do you want to find the answer to the brokenness? Listen, Miracles sometimes can turn the head of someone who is unbelieving. I hear about it all the time on the mission field where God will utilize some miraculous event and it opens the door to a village. It opens the door to a family that will become the family through which the gospel will be shared. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to be the one to sit back and say, well, God can't work a miracle today. Or God can't speak through someone today. Or God can't heal someone. Or God can't have a prophetic word today to speak into the life of a church. Or an, I'm, not, I'm just not going to say it. He says there are all these gifts. And he says, thirdly, that our gifts are for the common good. 
in verse 7, he makes it abundantly clear. He says, but to each one is given a manifestation, a different manifestation of the Spirit, but it's for the common good. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. He says that these gifts, what he's saying is they are not for the good of the member. When God blesses you with a gift, he blesses you so that you might bless others. That's what Megan's been saying. That's what I've heard Clint say over and over the years he's been here at Hepzibah. The gospel's coming to us. It's on its way to someone else. Every blessing that we receive is meant to be a blessing that is given away. And these gifts, while they are a blessing to you, they should not stop with you. They're not just for the good of the member, but they're for the good of the body. No one person is meant to have all the gifts. All of us are like interlocking pieces of a puzzle. There's no one-man band. You say, well, what difference does this make in my private life or my personal life? Listen, this is why church should be so important to all of us is that we recognize that all of us have been gifted differently. We make up one body of believers. It's why it's important that you are here and you are part of this body. Now, I'm not saying that you may not go on mission trips and be gone a week. But I'm saying that when we get in these patterns of we're gone five, six, eight weeks out of the year and we're just saying what difference does it make whether we're here or not, that'd be like my liver saying, you know what, I'm going to check out for five weeks. Or my hands going, deuces, you know, good luck. I'm out five weeks. I'll see you later. I mean, could you imagine when the body isn't all together? When, when a piece of the body is missing, what do we call that? We call it handicapped, right? Does it mean that it can't accomplish anything? No, what it means is it will never accomplish fully what it was intended to if it had everything, if God had all of our commitment, all of our heart, that if these moments of the life of the church would go back to what they were meant to be, not just a once a week, one hour occurrence, but the life that we share, it would have such an impact on this community and the world. He says... Also, that they're not to build a following for ourselves, but followers of Christ. Now, let that sink in. There are many today that they let their giftedness become all about them. I'm going to be honest. I try real hard. Have you noticed that I don't get on stage till I preach? I want it to be so hard to recognize who's the lead pastor here. I don't want everything to depend on me. You know why? Because there's a day I'm not going to be here. Why do churches have to struggle, die, fall apart because a pastor leaves? Does that, I mean, do you understand that? That doesn't make any sense at all. What that says is that it has more to do with the man and less to do about Christ. I get a little burr in my saddle when like, you ever know, like there are some churches that literally there's nothing that goes out that doesn't have the pastor's face on it. There's just something about that that just grates on me. Because we start to elevate. We start to say, you know what? This body can't function without me. And we become the focus and we become, listen, it should never be that way as teachers, as deacons, as anything. None of us should desire the chief seat at the table. But it's one of those things that if God calls you to it, then you humbly take it. But you remember that it's God in you. It's God through you. That you know what? If you weren't there, it will still continue. This church has existed 215 years, whether Bill Sanderson was here, whether Aaron Wallace was here, whether any other pastor, teacher, deacon, missionary was here. Guess what? This is God's church. And that's the way that it's supposed to be. He hasn't gifted us so that we can have a following, but so that we can point people to Jesus Christ. And they are not these gifts for the glory of the member but they're for the glory of God. Folks, let me say this. Spiritual gifts are not given on the basis of your awesomeness or my awesomeness. Remember, they're grace gifts. You're unworthy of them. You don't deserve them, but God places them in you because he has a purpose and a plan, a thing that he wants you to accomplish in this life for his kingdom, for his glory.
It was given to us at our salvation, not 10 years in after we've shown our worth or done our part. That's never been about that. They were given to us from the moment that we were saved. And you see, the reason we have to be careful about glory, again, let's go back to the golf illustration. How odd would it be if at the end of the U.S. Open, they had a golf club standing up and they were presenting the trophy to the golf club? Isn't that ridiculous? Could you imagine? Like, Tiger, we don't, you know, you get out of here. We don't, listen. It's because of the person that holds the club, right? That's who gets the honor. That's who gets the glory. At the parade of homes, we don't bring in the hammers and we don't bring in the chisels and we don't bring in the wrenches and everything else and say, you know, let's celebrate the, the crafty workmanship of these tools. Why? Because we recognize what are the tools? They're nothing unless they're in the hand of someone who's something. And that is how we have to view ourselves. God. It's God. It's God. He has to get all of the glory because you know what? Without him, we can do what, church? Nothing. But with him, all things are absolutely possible. The purpose of our spiritual gifts is never to boast. It is always to bless. It's never for show. It's always to serve. And lastly, I close with this. Our gifts are God's choice. In verse 11, he says, but it one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. You don't get to pick your gifts. You get to discover them. How do you discover them? Serve. I didn't know I had the gift of preaching until someone came alongside me and said, Aaron, I want you to write Bible studies. I was like, I don't write Bible studies. They said, I know, but I want you to try. I want to see what the Lord will do through you, so why don't you just give it a shot? And he helped me understand what was needed and how I needed to outline it. And I sat down, and to my shock, I was able to write it. And then he said, the next year, not only do I want you to write devotions, I want you to lead devotional time at camp. And I was like, dude, you got the wrong guy. I hate public speaking. Joke's on me, right? The next year, Melanie's father said, I want you to preach on a Sunday evening. And it was as I said yes, terrified, as I said yes, kicking and screaming against God that you got the wrong guy. You, listen, God knows what he's put inside of you. And the reason so many of us don't know is because we see the opportunities go by over and over and we never say yes. There were opportunities that came by me and I said yes and very quickly I was like, that's not my gift. But then there were other ones that came by. And I was stunned. I was shocked as anybody that God could and would choose to use me in that way. So many of you don't know your gifts because you're not serving. You're not active in this body of believers. He has distributed these gifts to all of us. And they are from the Spirit used by God as we reach the world with the gospel to encourage and to support each other but they're not given to us for our own egos. They are God's choice to use us and how he wants to use us. They are distributed by the Spirit. I love the scene in C.S. Lewis. If you ever watched The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's interesting. Those four children are given gifts. Father Crispus comes. If you remember in that movie, Aslan, the lion, is a representation of Jesus Christ in that allegory. And as Aslan comes, Jesus, right? He sends Father Christmas in the storyline to come and give gifts to these four children who are queens or, or prince and princesses in the kingdom, right? They're, they're his children. And as they open up these gifts, it's funny because you can tell that these four children, they don't understand the gifts. One is given the ability, like a medical kid, almost like the ability to heal. Another is given bows and arrows. Another one's given a sword. When they look at these gifts, they are mere children, and they're like, what in the world am I going to do with this? But as the storyline progresses and God continues to put them in the place that he has them, all of a sudden they start to realize because one of them becomes injured and very near death, and suddenly the little girl remembers Aslan, that lion, Jesus, gave me this gift of this medical kit, right? And she begins to take it and brings healing. In that moment, she had no idea why she had that gift, but as time progressed and they were faithful to do what they were told to do, suddenly they began to realize the one that was given the sword would be the one that would lead the armies. 
When he looked at it for the first time, you can imagine handing a teenager a sword and how he could possibly think God would use me to lead an army. But didn't he do that with young men all throughout Scripture? He distributes them, not as you will. I thank God every day he didn't let me do what I wanted to do. Lord, I don't know who I'd be married to. I don't know what I'd be doing. But he had a purpose and a plan, and he gifted me and gave me the ability to do what he was asking me to do. He designed it so that we would not be spectators, but so that we would be participants. Are you participating in the work of God? Folks, he wants us to walk with him and serve him rather than sitting back and watching everybody else doing it. And I do want to mention, criticism is not a spiritual gift, just so you know. Those that typically sit back and don't serve, that's what they think their gift is. Folks, he's given us these gifts to build up the body. Gifts are not an indicator. God distributes them as he will. They are not an indicator of spiritual significance. The preacher is no greater than the one who passionately uses their gifts to work in the nursery than the musicians that stand on this stage and play. I don't know about you. I don't even know technically what my little toe is there for, but I don't want you to take it from me. I don't know what my appendix does, and they remove it all the time, but you know what? I figure God gave it to me. There's a design for it. I don't want you touching it. There's not a piece of our body that isn't part of what God had planned. And never forget that they are a gift of God's grace. Don't ever think of them as burdens. They're gifts. What God wants more than anything is for you to fulfill the purpose for which you were created. And he has given you everything that you need to do that. And so he's with us. And as you musicians come this morning... I want you to think with me today about the beauty of what he's designed. That he sees you and he knows you and he's placed you here for a reason and a purpose. Are you fulfilling that reason? Are you fulfilling that purpose? Don't let these spiritual gifts over the next few weeks... You trying to hide? You, Jenna, are you sneaking around me? Yeah. <laughs> I could tell she's like, he's coming towards me, he's coming towards me. Listen, as we look at these gifts, I want you to recognize that you play a part in the greatest story that's ever been told. The advancement of the kingdom of God. Are you fulfilling your place? Are you at the place where you need to repent because you've let your giftedness get in your head and you've become more in your mind than you should be? Do you look at spiritual gifts and think, well, I'm glad I'm this and not that because this one's better and that one's lesser? Have you allowed God to just really, as we start this sermon series on the gifts, get back to the place where you are thankful, where you are willing? I don't want anybody in this church to be sitting on the sidelines. I don't want anybody in this church to feel like they're of no value or worth. It doesn't matter if they're here or they're not here. Everything in these texts scream, that is not true. Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you teach us in your word. Even days like today, we're thankful that we breathe a little. The last few weeks have been a lot and they've been heavy. And today we just get to explore the blessings of being your children, that you have distributed to us these gifts. And Lord, we want to use them. We want to be passionate about the things that you've placed on our heart. We want to, to run this race that you've set before us. And we know that you've done everything that is possible for us to have success. So Lord, take away the fear, take away the anxiety. Lord, for some of us, the race looks very different. Some of us are at home caring for our families in this moment in time, being faithful to care for those that we love who are hurting and who are sick. 
Lord, for others of us, you've got us going around the world. We're empty nesters and, and our responsibilities look very different maybe than others in the church. And so, Lord, you've given us the chance to have the open doors to, to go do things around the world. Still for others, our passion is our own community, our neighbors, our friends, our family. Lord, whatever it is, just impress upon us that we can't sit back and do nothing. We have to stand up and do something because you have graciously gifted us. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, give them faith today to realize that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, to realize that it was the greatest gift we've ever received, far greater than these spiritual gifts, is the gift of your Son who came and died for our sins, who was buried, who rose again. And he calls to all of us that if we're sinners and we need to be saved, if we're broken and we need healing, Lord, you call and you say, come to me, all you who are weary and and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Lord, may someone today finally let go of their sin and the self that has trapped them. And may they call out to you for salvation. May they be willing to follow you and to be your disciple. Lord, right there in their seat, may they pray and ask you to save them. And Lord, as we come to this moment, make us prayerful. As this band sings, help us to respond to you, just to close our eyes and to thank you and to say yes to you and to start the work that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.